Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. Welcome back. The Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show giving you a weekend preview for our two teams. Notre Dame is going to be heading to Syracuse. I'm going to touch a little bit more on their upcoming matchup as a road dog. And the Chicago Bears will be heading on the road. They will be looking to rebound and build on their awesome demolition of the New England Patriots. They'll be heading to Dallas. They'll be taking on a very stout Dallas Cowboy defense, which will definitely be presenting a number of challenges. We'll get, I'll touch a little bit on what's going on with the White Sox. They still don't have a manager. What's going on? Are they waiting until after the season's over? No one really knows at this current point in time, but as soon as we know, we you will hear it from me. You will hear my reaction to the White Sox next managerial hire. That is on the horizon. So as we get into the weekend preview, both of our football teams, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and Chicago Bears, as I mentioned earlier, they're going to be playing some road games for Notre Dame, as we'll get into them in a second. Notre Dame's, we'll start with them since they are the Saturday matchup. They'll be heading into the Carrier Dome as Syracuse currently is opening up as a two and a half point favorite. Syracuse, obviously, a week ago came off of a very tough loss in which they had a 21 to 10 lead against the Clemson Tigers and that that which led to Clemson eventually benching their quarterback, DJ Ungule, Notre Dame's next opponent. They're currently on a bye week. They'll see them next week. But Syracuse was definitely giving Clemson a number of problems in that game. So many problems that they had to go to their backup quarterback and their, I believe is back. I forgot. Cade Klubnik is the backup quarterback for Clemson. He had to come in there and he had to lead Clemson down the field. They were just barely able to escape with a 24 to 21 Clemson victory over Syracuse. So Syracuse is coming into this game, coming off an emotionally tough loss in which they dominated three quarters of that game against the Clemson Tigers. I mean, they they frustrated Clemson. I mentioned it at the podcast at the earlier week when I previewed or when I recapped the Notre Dame game against UNLV, gave you a small little bit of a preview of the Syracuse game. We're going a little bit more into depth. This is later in the week. The game is on Saturday. You can catch that game at 11 o'clock Eastern time. I believe it is on ESPN. It's either on ESPN or ABC, one of those two. And look, I mean, I'm going into this matchup thinking that this is a winnable game for Notre Dame. Very, very simple. I think that this is going to be the start. Well, I don't think this is that's the truth. This is the start of a tough stretch of the games, the last five games of the season, in which they will be playing three ranked teams, including this game against Syracuse next week where Clemson will be coming into Notre Dame Stadium and then the final week of the season where it will be the battle for the Golden Shillelagh where they will take on a USC offense that has basically that has been rejuvenated under Lincoln Riley but we are going to focus it one game at a time this upcoming game against Syracuse as I mentioned they're coming in here off of that emotional loss that they had against Clemson. They had Clemson on the ropes for three quarters of that game. I've watched a lot of a number of Syracuse games this year. They have a great defense. That is the strength of the Syracuse team. It's that defense that is giving up only 15.6 points per game 
that is one of the best in the nation. I believe that is 16th in terms of point per game. That, don't quote me on that. That's not a real stat. That's really going to be one of the big keys is the Syracuse defense, which has been very good going up against really what has been somewhat this team's Achilles, Notre Dame's Achilles heel this year has been its offense. The offense has been mildly inconsistent. You know, they'll have, they'll have games where it seemed like North Carolina was really a jumping off game, but then they follow that up with a only scoring 14 points against the 111th ranked scoring defense in Stanford. Now, granted, I think Stanford has been playing a couple of games better. So, I mean, it doesn't look as bad, but I mean, still you, you give up, you only score 14 points against the 111th ranked scoring defense. That's going to present a, a number of problems. And that's where my biggest concern comes in. I mean, if you're struggling to score touchdowns against a Stanford defense that is allowing almost 32 points per game, I don't know how you expect to score against a Syracuse defense. That's only allowing 15.6 points per game. And especially this year, when you look at the Notre Dame offensive numbers, I mean, they're 86th in the nation in scoring offense, Notre Dame's only averaging 26 points per game. I mean, that's not good. I mean, that's, I mean, last year, Notre Dame under Brian Kelly was a top 20 offense. Now, granted, they had more experience and more talented playmakers, which is something that Notre Dame has kind of been looking for throughout the year. It looks like that they have found a couple of them in Logan Diggs, who has been taking the load of the carries in the backfield out of Chris Tyree, who they are now going to use as more of like a hybrid running back wide receiver, spread them out wet, spread them out left, spread them out right. And really in the return game is really where Chris Tyree is presenting most of his value. This is going to be a very tough game. I mean, obviously Drew Pine has been fine. I think at times he gets too locked in on Michael Mayer as something that I've mentioned with Notre Dame, one of the keys to Notre Dame really being good on offense. And this is really kind of a Syracuse thing is, you know, Notre Dame's going, Notre Dame is basically, they are a run heavy offense. You know, they have three great running backs that have over three, close to 300 yards rushing. Obviously, Audric Estiman has been the leader of the pack. And I mentioned Logan Diggs has been getting a majority of the carries. If Notre Dame is able to establish the run against a good Syracuse defense, that's really going to set up for, Michael Mayer to get open and be able to make plays because that's really the key to Notre Dame's offensive success is trying to find Michael Mayer open in the field, establish the run, and then you throw to Michael Mayer, and then eventually you'll go downfield and throw to an actual wide receiver. I mean, that's basically been Notre Dame's offensive recipe throughout most of this year. And when you look at it, it really depends on whether Syracuse has the guys to be able to slow down a Notre Dame offense. And I'm fairly certain that Syracuse should have no problem with that seeing as how they have a very good defensive unit. They are only allowing only 294 yards per game. I mean, it's going to be a tough battle for the Notre Dame offense. I mean, it's going to definitely be a struggle. I think this is one, this is a game where it's going to be hinging a lot on Notre Dame's defense and a Notre Dame defense that has been particularly okay. They've been, they've been okay at times. They haven't necessarily given up a whole lot of points in terms of Marcus Freeman's first year, but they have won four out of their last five games. And I know that one of those games was that stinker against Stanford. I mean, this is a big spot for Notre Dame to be able to come in here, go into the carrier dome and kind of right the ship a little bit, because it feels like that with these next stretch of games where they have, where they're playing ranked opponents, three out of the next five against ranked opponents, as I mentioned, 
if Notre Dame comes away with again two and one in though in those three games, I mean, then definitely we'll be feel Notre Dame will definitely be in a much better spot. We'll probably be feeling a lot better about where Marcus Freeman has the program going forward. Or we're because I mean Notre Dame, as I mentioned before, when they lost to Stanford, like this season is literally teetering on the brink of a six and six, five and seven. Like this, it smells like almost like a Tyrone Willingham. Now, obviously, I never really saw a Tyrone Willingham coach, but this Notre Dame team, it definitely stinks of a down year. But it's one where if you come away with a couple of victories against these quality opponents, especially two two opponents that are in the top ten in Clemson and USC, if you could come away with a couple of those victories, I mean, you will definitely be feeling a lot better. And Notre Dame fans will definitely be feeling a lot better about where the program is going, going forward under Marcus Freeman. Now game prediction. I mean, I feel like this is going to be an ugly game. This is going to be a game where Notre Dame is obviously, as I mentioned, Notre Dame has to be able to establish the run to really try and open up the passing game. I know it sounds fairly it sounds it's easier said than done. I mean, it's kind of one of those old football cliches where it's like, you know, you, you run to set up the pass, you run to set up the pass, which is a a bigger, which is a myth, but then you could also do the reverse of that where you pass to set up the run. Notre Dame isn't really built to set up the pass. It is not really built to really establish a dominant passing game. I mean, they are probably one of the worst passing offenses in the NF in college football. I mean, Notre Dame is not, I mean, Notre Dame's offense is really the key to this game. If they're able to at least put together a couple of scoring drives and not really let the Syracuse offense and Sean Tucker run all over them, because Notre Dame can really keep this game in check. I, they had the most points that they have surrendered this year, I believe, was 28, and that was when that was probably one of their better offensive performances in terms of total game performances when they played North Carolina. So definitely a challenging matchup. It's going to be in the carrier dome, which makes me a little bit skeptical about picking Notre Dame in this game. But obviously I think I feel confident that Notre Dame can go into Syracuse and win this game just because just based on based on they're starting to find some offensive playmakers. They're playing a little bit better on offense. I know outside of the Stanford game, they've been playing slightly better Four out of the last five. I think Syracuse is still going to be reeling off of that. Oh my gosh, we almost had him. You know, they they almost had stay almost had Clemson. I feel like that Notre Dame is going to I I want to pick Notre Dame to win this game. I know they're underdogs right now. I believe two and a half point favorites. I'm not I don't have the money line right in front of me or plus 118 Notre Dame is on the money line. I think if Notre Dame can be able to find running room and be able to establish the run. I mean, this is basically the, the most cliche thing for Notre Dame, if the running game is working for Notre Dame, like if Audric Estimate, Logan Diggs, Chris Tyree are able to find running lanes where each of those guys are getting at least like 50 yards each, then that's going to put Drew Pine in a much easier spot where it's going to take a whole lot of pressure off of him and he'll be able to find his wide receivers. Obviously, Michael Mayer's leading the pack. But, you know, obviously, Jaden Thomas is somebody who has been very good. Tobias Merriweather is another wide receiver that Marcus Freeman has. Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese have mentioned as a wide receiver that they like in that room. I think it's really going to be, as I mentioned, if Notre Dame is able to find points and they are able to find the end zone and protect the ball, not not have a whole lot of 
offensive mistakes, if they are able to take care of the ball, then I have, then I feel pretty good that Notre Dame is going to come away with a victory in the Carrier Dome against the Syracuse Orange as an underdog. I feel like Syracuse is still going to be feeling a little bit reeling, a, a slight hangover effect from the effects of losing that game against Cle- against Clemson. But I also said that Notre Dame was going to go nine and three, ten and two this year as a ceiling. So. Obviously, my predictions don't mean diddly poo because, quite frankly, I hate making predictions because now I'm every prediction I make is usually wrong nine times out of ten. But I think Notre Dame can go in here and win this game, obviously. But but if it's that's the biggest key is if Notre Dame can find the end zone if they're able to establish themselves and run the offense that Drew Pine run wants to run or Tommy Reese wants to run, then Notre Dame will find themselves in a very good spot against. Syracuse and then they'll probably come away with a victory that will have a lot of people feeling a lot better about where the Notre Dame football program is heading going forward now we are going to transition into the Sunday game obviously I talked a lot about the Bears Monday night game and their 33-14 dominating victory over the New England Patriots one of the best Bears victories In at least four years since easily the 2018 season, you could probably date back to probably the most dominant Bears game in which you left the game feeling very, very good about the Bears. Like this is about as good as I felt about the Bears in probably three years since the buildup since before the 2019 season when before they laid that dot of a game on the first game of the season against the Green Bay Packers. The Bears have obviously been playing a lot better as of late. They have a very they have a challenge in front of them in the Dallas Cowboys and probably the best defensive player in the NFL in Micah Parsons, who has one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. He's having a phenomenal year coming off a year in which he won defensive rookie of the year. He's putting himself in a very prime position to win the NFL defensive player of the year. He has just been a force this year. He has been a beast And I am going to be very concerned for the Chicago Bears offensive line. They they have been struggling to protect the Justin Fields against elite pass rushers. I mean, that's going to come as expected. A week ago, they struggled to protect him against Matthew Judon. I believe the the Patriots had five sacks against the Chicago Bears. That's got to improve, especially when Matthew Judon's getting two and a half sacks. I'm going to be very, very concerned about Justin Fields and this offense. I think the Bears can keep this game close just because in these first seven games, every game that they have been in has been a dogfight. It has been close for the most part. The only game that you can really say that the bears were really out of it was probably that Sunday night game against the Packers. And it was a game where the Packers really weren't too impressive. And I think now it's becoming an outlier based on that. The green Bay pack, it's an outlier on both of these teams, which is saying that, I mean, the Packers just stink. Let's just get it out there. They absolutely stink, which is probably why we feel better about the Bears, too. But the line in this one, I mean, the Bears are nine and a half point underdogs going into Dallas, and it is understandable. I mean, they are an they were a team that I mean, until that Monday night game, they were an offense that was struggling. They were an offense that was struggling to score points. I mean, right now they are only averaging 18 points per game. And when we obviously look at that Monday night game and when you look at the games that were leading up to it, they played three opponents that were three very winnable games and they lost three of those games. Now they had a, they had an opportunity with Justin Fields late in the game to try and get a game, 
try and tie the game against the Vikings. Amir, that was before Amir Smith Marset fumbled the ball. He had three opportunities against the Commanders to score points. He went 0 for 3 in those three opportunities. I mean, the Bears could definitely be in a lot different of a spot where they're they're three and four now. But if you are able to take advantage and are able to score points and not beat yourself and not let Valus Jones muff a couple of punts. The bears could definitely be in a spot where they could either be four and three or even five and two right now. I mean, that's as crazy as it sounds just by watching most of their games this year, their defense has kept them in a good majority of this games. And that goes a lot to the coaching staff. As I mentioned, I mean, they're working with a bunch of guys that are, not really experienced. They're not household names outside of Roquan Smith and no longer Robert Quinn, who they traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fourth round pick. I'll get to into my thoughts about that trade in a bit, but I mean, this is going to be a battle for the Chicago bears to really be able to keep Justin Fields upright. I know one thing that the bears will be able to do successfully. And it's the one thing that the bears do well is running the ball. The Dallas Cowboys, have the 20th ranked rushing defense. And by watching the game last week where they played the Detroit Lions, the Lions were able to, I wouldn't say run with ease, but they were able to run the ball against the Dallas Cowboys. They just could not protect Jared Goff at any point in time when he would go back to pass. You have some you have some guys on that Dallas defense. I mean, not outside of Mark, Micah Parsons. You have Dexter Lawrence. You have Kyle Vanderish. You have Trayvon Diggs in the secondary. Like, this is a very good Dallas defense. You could even go as far as saying that it's an elite group. I mean, you're talking about an elite Dallas Cowboy defense, which has only allowed 14.9 points per game. Obviously, Micah Parsons has just been a a defensive weapon that has just wrecked offensive game plans year in and year out. As I mentioned, Dexter Lawrence on the Cowboys has some guys on that defensive line. And really the big key is going to be if the bears can be able to move the ball and more so can they protect Justin Fields and come out of this game a hundred percent healthy, because I'm going to be very concerned about his health because you know, Justin Fields has been taking a lot of hits lately. He's been taking a lot of hits throughout the entire year. The bears offensive line, has probably has not been good, even though at times it has been good. And at times it has been really bad. And, you know, Braxton Jones has been kind of come, has been coming along a little bit, but you know, he still has some growing pains being a fifth round pick from South Alabama. But as I go over to, as we look at the defensive side of things, I mean, the bears, one more thing on the offense. I mean, the bears, this is going to, this is going to be an ugly game where they're going to be struggling to score some points. Points are probably going to be coming at a premium. You have two really good defensive teams squaring off against each other. I mean, the Bears are a underrated defensively good team. I mean, when you look at seven games into the season, if you take out two Valus Jones muff punts, they give up. They only give up a couple field goals or a touchdown. If they don't have the Valus Jones muff punt from the Washington game, then they only give up three points to the Washington commanders. If you don't have that other muff punt, I mean, you probably are still in that game with an opportunity. So it's more or less the bears have been in these games, but it just comes down to if they can avoid making the mental errors, avoid making the mental stakes and really keep the ball in front of them and protect number one, Justin Fields and make sure that he comes out of this game healthy, make sure that he doesn't have to leave. And we have to talk about, oh my gosh, I mean, how long is Justin Fields going to be out for? It's going to open up a whole can of worms where 
everybody who was feeling great about the Bears, which is great, which is funny to say because nobody we haven't felt this good about the Bears, as I mentioned, in four years. And to go on the complete opposite spectrum and Justin Fields get gets hurt by Micah Parsons just landing on him because Braxton Jones is just getting juked up by a double spin move by Micah Parsons, then people are going to be outraged and the vibes are going to be right back to doom and gloom that the sky is going to be falling for the Chicago Bears. On the defensive side of the ball, you know, as I mentioned, I've I've kind of liked where the Bears defense has gone outside of the front seven where it seemed like at the beginning of the season that any running back could just easily run for over 100 yards against them. They seem like that they limited that. The You know, I thought the Patriots were going to really use the Bears' biggest weakness against them. I thought the Patriots were going to use their running game to really run the ball right down the Bears' throat, and they didn't do that. I mean, we, they did not do that. So uh, I'm giving a ton of credit to Matt Eberflus and the coaching staff for getting them ready for that game against the New England Patriots. And with the way that this team, uh, that this coaching staff has been coaching in-game, making the in-game adjustments, that apparently worked because when we look at the last three coaching regimes, how hard was it? I mean, Matt Nagy was a moron in terms of getting players off of a mini buy, making second half adjustments because he was so stubborn that he wanted to stick to his system with his guys, with him calling the plays. Matt Nagy was just really stubborn with that. We're not getting that with Matt Eberflus. With Matt Eberflus, we're getting, all right, what do we need to do to win football games? And if that's we need to open the playbook and put play and use Justin Fields in ways that he is most comfortable with, obviously. And with the defense, Roquan Smith has been great making tremendous plays. I mean, Jaquan Brisker has just been an animal back there for a good majority of the year. I mean, that that is looking like a tremendous Ryan Poles draft pick who he and by the way, Ryan Poles has met with the media twice. And of course, as many people might have heard from multiple outlets or your local news source. Defensive end Robert Quinn was traded for a fourth-round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. It's It was a business decision. It obviously was a move that made sense, seeing as where the Bears are going in terms of steps in their rebuild. This was a team that was going to be rebuilding and building up draft picks. I would not be surprised if there was more Bears players that were going to be on the move before the NFL trade deadline, which I believe is November 7th, I think. it's either the, the NFL trade deadline is coming up, and I would not be surprised if the Bears made a couple more moves, if they maybe agreed to take on the rest of Eddie Jackson's money and you move him to a contender to a team like the Buccaneers or a team like the Rams that will need the secondary help. But, I mean, the Robert Quinn decision, it, it obviously made sense. When you look at his tenure with the Bears, obviously last year, he had the record-breaking sack season, which he had 18 and a half sacks, which really was an outlier of a season. He'll probably he will never have that good of a season again for the rest of his career. And he was a veteran guy who deserves to be on a winning franchise. And what the Bears did, it seemed like for a while that they weren't going to trade Roquan Smith. They were going, and then they were going to trade him in the offseason. And then he wasn't showing up for training camp, OTAs, all that stuff. He shows up and he is still a Chicago Bear. I felt like it was only going to be a matter of time before they moved on from Robert Quinn because it just made too much sense to be able to move that to to be able to move him, seeing as where the Chicago Bears are. They're a rebuilding team that's looking to evaluate draft picks. 
and they were able to get a fourth round pick out of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, I don't know what their plan was. I don't know what they were trying to offer in the offseason, but to be able to get a middle round draft pick out of a 33 year old Robert Quinn, where you are going to be taking on the rest of his contract and now will add more cap space going into the offseason for the Chicago Bears, which is, I mean, I'm not getting into the free agent class for the NFL yet, but it's going to be loaded with a bunch of offensive linemen that are probably going to be here to help protect Justin Fields in the coming years. So I, I didn't give a, so the my prediction for the Chicago bears and the Dallas Cowboys is I think it's going to be a tough game. I think the bears defense is going to keep them in this game. The obviously, as I said, the biggest key is really making sure that Justin Fields comes out of this game alive and you don't have another replica performance of the Cleveland game last year, where he was just getting sacked all over the place. If the bears can really just keep this game close and not get humiliated by the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't think the Cowboys are really that good. I think their defense is really good. I don't think their offense is really all that. And I think the bears can really stay in this game. I think it's going to be a low scoring game, but I'm going to take the bears in the points, the nine and a half. That just feels like too much. I feel really good about where the bears are in terms of playing in close games. I mean, every game they've been in, has been a close game throughout the year for the exception of one. So I'll go final score. I'll go 24, 20 uh, bears. We'll pick the bears to win 24 to 20. They'll go into Dallas and they'll shove it right down the Cowboys throats. All right. That was our bears football preview going into the weekend. Some other college games that I will obviously have my eye on a couple NFL games that we will have our eyes on in college football, the slate of games. I mean, next week, next week's slate of games are going to be tremendous. I mean, you talk about LSU versus Alabama, you have Georgia versus Tennessee, a matchup that is going to set up who ends up winning the sec East on that side and who gets to go to the sec title game. I mean, that's going to be a huge matchup going into next week. But this one, Tennessee has a game in front of them. They're playing Kentucky in Kentucky. And I feel like people are going to say that this is a typical trap game spot. I think it is because Kentucky reasonably has been pretty good. I know people might say that Kentucky's not really that good. I mean, when I look at a couple of Kentucky games that I watched in the past, I mean, they should have beaten Ole Miss when they played them. I mean, Kentucky gave Every up op- had every opportunity to win that game, but just kept shooting themselves in the foot in a game in which they should have won. So I'm going to be looking to take, I mean, Tennessee is a 13 point favorite going into Kentucky. And I think I like Kentucky in the points. I think they'll keep the game close. Uh, I, a little bit of a look ahead spot for Tennessee when they play Georgia the very next week. Um, I will be looking to take Tennessee and the points in that one, Ohio state and Penn state is a matchup in, I believe it is in happy Valley where Penn state, why did, why did they call it happy Valley in state college? Ohio state has not really been as offensively as proficient as maybe they have been in years past. So I obviously I'm not going to be playing any side of this game. I know I say that right now, but then Saturday comes and I look at that line and I'm going to say, Ooh, I think I like the Buckeyes. Ohio state's currently a 15 and a half point favorite, getting the points going into state college. And I feel like over the years, 
when these two teams when these two teams meet, I feel like Penn State and Ohio State play relatively close games. I feel like Penn State usually stays within the number, whereas Ohio State, I feel like at times their offense hasn't been. People say their their offense hasn't been clicking on all cylinders. Ohio State, this is their last five games. This is just something that I heard on the radio. I mean, Penn State, who who really have they beaten? I mean, this has kind of been my biggest thing with Penn State. I have not really been a big Penn State backer. I don't think that Penn State has really played anybody really that impressive. When you look at their resume, they played Michigan two weeks ago and got completely demolished. If they didn't get a pick six in the second or in the second quarter of that game, that game would have been a whole lot worse. I think Ohio State definitely has the offensive firepower to where they can open it up and really explode on Penn State. The reason I would be a little bit hesitant to take Ohio State and the points is because of what I just mentioned. Penn State always plays Ohio State relatively tough. I know this is a little bit of a rivalry game to say the least. This one's going to be played at 11 a.m. Central Time. That is going to be the big Fox, big noon game. I mean, obviously, Ohio State will be looking to stay perfect. I mean, many people have talked about how they have been one of the best teams in the nation. I think their offense has been good, to say the least. I mean, obviously, C.J. Stroud is a guy who who will who we will be talking about as a potential to be the first pick in the NFL draft. I think when you look at this matchup, Ohio State has won five straight games, nine out of the last 11, and 14. Uh, but 14 out of, of the 38 games in the series have been decided by a touchdown or less. And I feel like five out of the I feel like six out of the last eight since James Franklin has been there. It has been a relatively close game, but I think I'll take Ohio State and and the points. I just don't really think Penn State is really that good of a football team. I think they have played. They have lucked into a very weak quality opponents. I mean, they blew out Minnesota. I mean, cool. Minnesota is about as one dimensional a football team as it gets. I'll take Ohio state and I'll take the points. I probably won't be playing a side on this game, but if I was, I probably take the Buckeyes just because they have that factor of where they could just blow this game completely wide open. But it also wouldn't surprise me if Penn state played, played this game relatively close. The largest outdoor out outdoor cocktail party between Georgia and Florida. This game is going to be played in Jacksonville, Florida, and the number right now is Georgia at 22 and a half. I've always been a big Georgia backer because I feel like they they put it on teams. They look like that they demolish teams. I'm always a little bit hesitant to take to because I think Florida could keep this game close, but Georgia's defense is just absolutely dominant. I mean, Georgia's defense has been about as good as it gets this year. I know that they've had a couple of hiccups where they put where they almost lost to Mizzou. They almost lost to Kent State. They gave up 22 points, but in the SEC games, they have not allowed more than 10 points in against any SEC opponent this year. I think Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, is going to struggle against this Georgia, this stout Georgia defense. 22 and a half. Uh it's a it's a pretty big number, but usually in in this game, I mean Georgia usually covers those numbers fairly easily by halftime. I think I'll take Georgia in that one. I think they'll win fairly easily. Whether they cover the 22 and a half, I think they could. I think maybe Florida can keep it within the number. I think Florida's at least 
good enough in this game. In these rivalry games, they'll play relatively close. So I guess I'll take Florida and the 22 and a half that they are laying. I don't like it, but that is what we are doing. And those were some of my college plays. As I mentioned, a couple NFL plays that I like, the Dolphins, Lions. It just smells like an overfest. I mean, Detroit is scoring an average of over 30-plus points in every home game that they have played in this year. But they have also been giving up a large number of points at home this year. I think Miami is a team that could definitely throw the ball a lot, obviously with two fast wide receivers in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, along with Tua Tungavailoa, who looks to get back into pre-concussion form before he got injured. So I think I like I love the over in that one. And some other NFL games, I will also mention that the Packers are going into Buffalo on Sunday night football, and they are going to get killed. I actually cannot wait to watch the Buffalo Bills just demoralize the Green Bay Packers. I don't know what has happened to the Packers this year. Like they, they are just a complete shell of the team that they have been the last three years. I mean, we have, I mean, we always know how dominant the Packers have been going into, you know, the way that they have, the way that the Packers have been the last couple of years, they've won 13 games. They've won 13 games and they've won 13 games each of the last three years. But now this year, I mean, you're talking about a completely different situation. The Packers are definitely in a spot where Aaron Rodgers hates all of his offensive weapons except for Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, which, again, they refuse to use either one of them in the running game because it feels like that they want to win the game throwing the football. Aaron Rodgers hasn't, hasn't eclipsed over 300 yards once this year, so that is something that is going to be a legitimate cause of concern. The Buffalo Bills have just been a complete wagon. They have dominated teams in both assets of the game. Right now, I think Buffalo is an 11.5-point favorite. With the way that the Packers' offense has been performing as of late, they have been struggling. I mean, the Packers are... I mean, this is about as worse as the Packers' offense has looked in probably my entire lifetime. I mean, my entire lifetime, they've had two great quarterbacks, Favre, and then going into Rodgers. And now, I mean, they look about as lackadaisical. They look like a Chicago Bears offense from what I'm seeing from the Green Bay Packers. They look lackadaisical. They look uninterested. And honestly, the Buffalo Bills are going to destroy them on Sunday night football. And then also on Monday night, I know a little extra play. I love the Bengals against the Browns. I think they are going to kill them on Monday night football. Happy Halloween, Cleveland Browns fans. You're going to get destroyed by your rival and Joey B. All right, those were some college and NFL plays that I'll be having my eyes on, some plays that I like going into the weekend. So obviously you should always bet responsibly if you are a betting person, but I wanted to add, uh, talk about a little bit of other games rather than just talk about the uh, basic, you know, the two game, the, the Bears and the Notre Dame game. I obviously wanted to talk about a couple of other games since um, I'll be having my eyes on some other college games. I mean, it's we're, we're leading into, we're getting very close into college football playoff season where the rankings are going to be coming out next Tuesday. It'll be the first rendition of the college football playoff rankings that they will be out next week. And that'll be next Tuesday. We'll get a preview. And obviously I will break down 
the first rendition of the top four teams that will be getting released out of the college football playoff. All right, um, just a little bit of White Sox news. They still don't have a manager by this time next week. I'm sure that they'll definitely be having one. I don't know because we haven't heard anything. I mean, the last thing we heard was that Ozzie Gein was going to manager for the job, and that was pretty much it. I mean, this has basically been the most under-the-radar managerial search that you can even imagine. And I don't I don't know if it's going to – I don't know if they're waiting. I don't know if it's a coach that's on – either the Houston Astros or the Philadelphia Phillies, who are both in the World Series, a World Series breakdown in which I will give in just a few minutes. So I don't know what I don't know what direction the White Sox are going to go in. It's really kind of murky. It seems like that it might be Joe Espada, and now there's been some reports that Espada's camp has kind of softened a bit. The White Sox haven't lagged a bit. And apparently there's also another report that there is – a disagreement between who the next manager is going to be between the ownership and the front office. Well, surprise, surprise, because Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't get what he wants instead of trying to do what is best for the baseball team to try and get the most out of his potential and get another World Series ring. You would think that a guy who is 87 years old and has his best years behind him would be more committed to try and build and bring a World Series championship back to Chicago. Like, I heard the Phillies owner the other day. I might have mentioned this before. He said, I want to get my trophy back. Jerry Reinsdorf, do you want your trophy back? Well, show it. Uh, I, I don't have time getting mad about the White Sox. I mean, they are practically irrelevant. I mean, I, I'm still not over this disastrous season that they put this entire fan base through. And I mean, they they are just being they are just a walking PR nightmare right now. I mean, canceling Sox Fest because they couldn't get the space and they are afraid of holding themselves accountable and facing themselves and facing the fan base and just saying, hey, we messed up on this. Uh, we're not going there. All right. And I'm going to preview the World Series, which will be taking place tomorrow. Game one is in Houston. It'll be the Philadelphia Phillies against the Houston Astros. A bit of playoff history between these two teams. Obviously, the Houston Astros used to be a National League team as they will be facing off the Philadelphia Phillies in a rematch of the 1980 NLCS in a series in which featured Pete Rose and Mike Sh and Mike Sh Mike Schmidt former Philadelphia Phillies legend at third base. The Phillies won that series three games to two. That sent the Phillies to the World Series in which they won their first World Series title in 1980. Are we going to get a repeat of that where the Philadelphia Phillies win their first World Series title since 2008? Or are we going to get the Houston Astros winning their first World Series title since 2017? It'll be their second in a six-year run in which they went, to, they have gone to the NLCS six year or the ALCS six years in a row, which includes four of this will be their fourth appearance in the World Series. And I mean, the Houston Astros have just been a complete and utter wagon. I mean, they are seven and zero this postseason. I mean, they completely dished off to the side the New York Yankees. I mean. The, Mark, I hate to say it, but the Houston Astros just completely own your franchise. And hey, maybe they own the White Sox too, but guess what? We'll always have that 05 World Series to dangle over their heads. I mean, they can brag about 
a division series and a playoff run in which they didn't even win the World Series. But I mean, I'll dangle I'll dangle that 05 World Series championship in front of the Houston Astros' face all day long. Oh, and speaking of that, yesterday was the anniversary of the Chicago White Sox winning their first World Series in 88 years. A phenomenal experience, one that I will, obviously one that changed my life forever. It helped shape and molded me into the baseball fan that you see talking to you right now in this microphone. I mean, that, that obviously, that 05 team, I just want to talk a little bit about that that team. I mean, that 05 team, I, I don't talk about it enough how much. I mean, those guys, to me, are like superheroes. I mean, obviously, I look at them the way that most Chicago Bears fans look at the 1985 Chicago Bears, like looking at those guys. I mean, obviously, that's why I don't want AJ to be the manager of the White Sox because I don't want to revolt against him just like most of the fan base did with Robin Ventura. That is just kind of something that I want to avoid the White Sox doing. So, obviously, we know Ozzy is being named as a candidate for the job. He interviewed earlier in the week. I believe they said it was on Monday in which he interviewed. But, I mean, that 05 team was just completely awesome. I mean, when you talk about four consecutive complete game victories, when you from Mark Burley to John Garland to Sweaty Freddie Garcia to Jose Contreras, who was the best pitcher in baseball in the second half of that 05 season. I mean, just taking a trip down memory lane, that was the – greatest sports moment of my entire life and I was 11 years old when it happened it obviously helped shape and molded me into the man that I am today I mean I I love the White Sox because of that 05 team now obviously I don't I obviously don't love them right now they obviously just have pissed me off I mean you you heard it you literally heard me talk about it I tried to talk about them about a managerial search and it literally just almost went off the rails as to me going off on a Jerry Reinsdorf owned team again. Well, we didn't do that in this. What well, we didn't do that. We chose not to go that route, but we instead are looking down memory lane of that Oh five team. I mean, all those guys were superheroes. I mean, Scott Pesetnik hitting a walk-off home run is probably one of the more unlikely home runs that you will ever see in the history of major league baseball. Paul Canerco, who is, who was just phenomenal throughout that entire postseason run and all the way down to big, bad Bobby Jinks, who basically came out of nowhere. He was pitching in double a, and now here he is closing out world series games as they got that last out. It was the greatest sports moment of my entire life. It was probably easily one of the happiest moments of my life. And I feel like it's a moment that I don't cherish enough because I was 11 years old. And I tricked myself into thinking that the White Sox were going to win multiple World Series championships like they were the 1950s New York Yankees. Well, it turns out that I was wrong and I just had not established myself with the Jerry Reinsdorf ownership and the White Sox regime in which they kind of just don't hold themselves accountable and basically hide behind closed doors unless things are perfect like this 2005 World Series run that they went on. I know I, I know I was supposed to be talking about the current World Series, but I'm going to basically just I and that turned into me talking about the 05 World Series run uh, and the greatest sports run of my entire life. I'll wrap it up with that before going into a preview. I mean, this is going to be a series now that we're back on track. I mean, this is going to be a series where I mean the Phillies are going to have their hands 
on deck. I mean, when you talk about the Houston Astros, I mean, the Astros are just about as loaded a lineup as you will ever get. I mean, their worst hitter is probably their catcher, Martin Maldonado, and they're base and he basically only plays for defensive starting purposes. Like he has been very good with the starting pitchers. I mean, Houston's lineup has just been a wagon, and they have just been a wagon the last six years. I mean, when you think about, they let a superstar player in Carlos Correa walk. And they replace him with Jeremy Pena, who goes on to win the ALCS MVP and is now on his way to becoming a household name in terms of Major League Baseball households. Obviously, on the Philly side of things, the Phillies basically have half of the lineup that I wanted the White Sox to have. Bryce Harper has just been playing out of his mind lately. He wants that World Series ring. And I really like this matchup of the Phillies versus the Astros the first year of the wild card format with the first year with this new wild card format. I mean, when you think about it, if this was last year's format, the Phillies wouldn't be in the playoffs right now. They would not have been in the playoffs. They would have been one of the first teams eliminated from the playoffs. So they are sitting very pretty in this situation, going up against a Houston Astros team that is completely dominant. And my prediction for this one, I'm going to pick the Astros in this one in six games. I want them to at least lose two games so that they don't have the best record in the history of postseason, I still want the 05 White Sox to hold that distinction. So I'll go with the Astros in six games. I think the Phillies can definitely compete in this series, but I am going to pick the Houston Astros to win this series in six games. They will win their second World Series title since 2017. Sorry, Mark. Hey, and sorry, me too. I mean, I don't I don't want them to win the World Series, but I mean, if we're being honest and we're making predictions here, I mean, it's pretty simple. But I mean, if but if we're also going off of the predictions that I have made on the podcast before, I mean, I also said the White Sox were going to win 96 games and Tim Anderson was going to be actually. No, I said Aloy Jimenez is going to be the team MVP. I mean, I was technically right. If you go off of second half statistics, I mean, Aloy was definitely the second half team MVP. So I was, I was kind of right on that one. So I, you could say that I was kind of villa, not really. Uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? I was, um, I got bailed out by Aloy. You know, Aloy really kind of came to bat for me. You know, I, he's obviously been somebody that the podcast has been very fond of this year, but we we're going a little bit off of the rails here. I'm going to wrap up this episode of the feeling Soxy podcast, the Clint Klaus show. Thank you for listening. And I hope that you enjoy this tremendous sports weekend. I mean, we have a ton of great sports ton of great sports we mentioned talked college football gave you a preview of the world series and we didn't get pissed off we decided to go in a different route and not talk about the white Sox managerial stuff so thank you for listening to the feeling Soxy podcast and i hope you guys have a fantastic weekend